0: You're listening to
1: Light Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Famous text from John chapter 4. So let's read it together. In John chapter 4, it says, Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. I who speak to you am he. This is God's word. Thank you, Pastor.
0: Well, this ends our series on the encounters. Uh, We'll be moving into some other things going forward that I'm very excited about. Um, But I want to end well here with you and uh, chose this particular one to, to sort of be the piece at the end of the whole of the series here uh, for you. This, I think, is, is just a wonderfully amazing story that we have here of the encounter of Jesus with uh, this woman at the well. Um, this is Jacob's well, and I want to give you a little background here and kind of set this up for you this morning uh, as we are, we are going through this um, because this is, this, this is a great story, and it takes place near an Old Testament city of Shechem. All right. Um, Now, Shechem is mentioned over 60 times in the Old Testament alone. Um, And so that obviously tells us there's some significance to this city. At least it tells us there's been some activity in terms of Israel's history uh, over time. And um, this is a a city that has been abandoned now by the time we have this story here uh, where Jesus is encountering the the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, Shechem is not the big city that or the the area that it was uh, in the Old Testament times. Now, Stephen does mention it in his discourse a little bit later in the book of Acts chapter 7, and he refers to it as the place where the fathers were taken to be buried, all right? Uh, So it had a a great deal of significance in a number of ways. And I'd like to try to kind of put that in here and help you to understand uh, the impact of that on understanding why Jesus is here. See, I don't believe that Jesus did anything randomly. I don't think he did anything in sort of a happenstance manner. I've been trying to to show you that through these various encounters that it seems that every movement of the lord is deliberate every decision is precise and timely and accurate all right and, and out of his foreknowledge he 's able to to work with the people that he is encountering along the way, whether they are followers or they are resistant to uh, his message. He still is able to work in those situations in very significant ways, and I think it 's a bit significant that this is where Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman outside of what was Shechem, this city uh, that was was very vibrant and very vital in the Old Testament, all right? Um, Now, John establishes for us here in in chapter 4 and verse 6 that this event took place at uh, Sychar. And uh, he's making this reference here, and this is where Jacob's well is, all right? So John's reminding his readers that this is a place where God revealed himself in his faithfulness. All right. This is a place where God announced, if you will, His faithfulness. So, John's making reference here, and it's very significant because this is the first place that Jacob settled when he returned into the promised land. Was at this place where he built this well. All right. So, this is the spot uh, where Abram received God's promise in the Old Testament, where He said to your offspring. I will give this land, all right? And and in addition to God's promise to, to Abram here, I think John is trying to help us to see that there's also, this is the place where a lot of like human agreements were made. Like not only did God make agreements with man out of his faithfulness, man made agreements with God and proved his unfaithfulness. And so there were times when God encountered uh, Israel, and Israel made uh, commitments to God, but didn't keep them. And there's several of them that you can look at going throughout uh, the history here, all right? Um, And later on, when you read in some of that Old Testament stuff, you'll realize that Jacob himself... Uh, He didn't always follow up and and follow through and live the commitments that he had made to God himself. Uh, On one occasion, he didn't destroy the family idols that he was supposed to destroy. God met him, and and God called him to to do this, but rather what he did was he placed them under a tree near Shechem. And so as we read these Old Testament stories, and you can go back and, and search them out and read them, you find two things happening you find the faithfulness of God being revealed, all right, in the way that God would make promises and God would be faithful to each of those promises time and time again, even generationally He would be faithful to promises, all right? But the other thing that you find out is you see here that those people who were trying to follow God, they were continually going in this circle, so to speak, this this, this spin, if you will, of where they would agree to be faithful to God, they would agree to follow God, they would agree to destroy their idols, they would uh, agree to to disband from unrighteous living, uh, all these kinds of things. They would agree to trust God uh, and what He would, would call them to do. And yet, time and time and time again, man would prove himself unfaithful. And so we have this situation where a faithful God is constantly trying to work with an unfaithful people. How many times have you looked over your life and in introspection saw God faithful and saw yourself unfaithful? And long for, for, for the joy of being faithful. Long for the joy of once again feeling acceptance. Acceptance. Long for the joy of someone coming and pulling you up out of the, the, the dull place or the, the shamed place that you're, you're finding yourself in and, and, and restoring to you this sense of value and identity and worth and that sort of thing. And I think it's marvelous that we see Jesus now in this place by Jacob's well where God has always been faithful in His Word. And man has consistently been unfaithful. And in this place, God begins to work through His Son, Jesus, I think, such a redemptive kind of action that I think supersedes all the others. That's just my opinion. You don't have to agree with that at all. But I just think this is just the most marvelous story here, all right? So that's kind of the background here historically. You, you see uh, up against all of these human failings, all of these lies and these deceits, uh, John is, is pointing out that this is where Jesus is. He's by this well. He's in, he's in uh, Shechem, He's he's right at Sikkar. He's right at that place where the Father made so many faithful commitments to his people. And yet in there, I think John knows that his reader uh, in the day of Christ would get that, would understand that, that, wow, look where Jesus is. He's right by Jacob's well. Man, God was so faithful to Israel there because they know the history of their people. And they understand this. And so as they're standing around watching what's going on, uh, the disciples now have left, which is another interesting piece of the story. Jesus tells the disciples, I want you to go, all 12 of you now. You need to go and get food in, in the nearby village. Now, let's back up and look at cultural context for just a minute. In Jewish culture, men were not allowed to interact with women alone. And yet Jesus, having arrived at this well that for all the people would be symbolic of the faithfulness of God, as the Messiah, he comes up and he says to his disciples, you guys go off in that other village over there, get some food. Now, my question to you is, Does Jesus really need 12 men to go and get 13 people food? (laughs) I don't think so. I think Jesus intended to be alone. I think Jesus was in the midst of a huge setup. All right? Now, before we get too far into this and we peg this Samaritan woman... Let's, let's stay in the cultural context for just a few minutes here. And I'm, I'm going to be a bit blunt here, and I hope you'll just, like, grace me in this and understand what I'm trying to do here to, to help you to understand things, okay? Samaritans and Jews did not like each other. Now, that's putting it extremely mild. They absolutely hated one another they actually saw each other as a constant and eternal defilement to interact with one another would defile the other and this hate relationship was both sided it was both ended if you will it wasn't one side was a victim and the other side was a perpetrator but this was this was an equal hatred, uh, uh, an equal sense of of despising one another that had been happening for a long period of time and, and had festered and brewed and built up over generations even. So this hatred was handed down from generation to generation amongst these people. Now also culturally, You and I are very aware that a woman had little status, both in Samaria and in Jerusalem. And those who were religious leaders looked down on women in both uh, cultures. So we have a woman who is coming to the well who is a Samaritan. And sometimes we read this passage and we say, okay, there is a woman who is coming. She is a Samaritan woman. Don't do that. Read that this way. There is a woman coming to the well, and she is a Samaritan, and she is a woman. That's a whole different impact, all right? She is despised on two fronts. She is ostracized on two fronts. Now, this is how bad it would be for a Samaritan woman, and this is is where it gets a little bit blunt for you here, okay? The Jewish leaders viewed a a Samaritan woman as though she was what is called a menstruant from birth to death. In other words, she is viewed as being on her menstrual cycle, which is a defilement for her, all right? She is viewed as being in that condition, regardless of whether she is or not, viewed as being in that condition from birth to death. She can never lose that identity in the eyes of the Jews. Not only that, the Jews would say to a man like Jesus, you are not to interact with this woman. Not only are you to not speak to her, but you're to have nothing to do with her because connecting with this woman will defile you. And, and that is against our purification laws. Now, understand this. The Jewish culture would say the spittle of a Samaritan woman who we treat as a menstruant is the highest form of defilement that a man could expose himself to. And Jesus sends 12 men away and positions himself to be alone at a well where a Samaritan woman walks up. And he looks at her and he says, give me a drink. Let me drink from your cup. Fill the cup that's touched your mouth with water and give it to me to drink. Now do you understand her reaction? Why in the world would you speak to me? Why would you ask for a cup of water? It's amazing, isn't it? Think about it, that before Jesus even offered his cup, which should be the act of love, the expression of love would be to give someone a drink. What do we do in this church when we have an event? Let's get water for everybody. Let's express to everyone welcome. Let's express to everyone acceptance. Let's express to everyone some kind of love and care. So let's give everybody a bottle of water. But before Jesus does that, in this situation, at this place where God has always been faithful and man unfaithful, Jesus says, give me water to drink. And he doesn't have a cup. So the inference is, with your cup, draw water and give it to me and let me drink it. This is where I want you to understand that this Jesus we serve, he has already, understand this, the world is putting barriers out there, the world is putting norms out there and saying you have to live in them, the world is putting all of this criteria out there uh, that we're supposed to operate in, and Jesus has already broke every norm possible to rescue people. She says, who are you? And he says, if, if you'd asked me, I would have given you living water. And they go through this discourse, if you will. And in the midst of this discourse, this woman makes a statement to him. She says, I per- I'm, I'm, I'm going to use my language here, but I perceive you're a prophet. Well, the reason that she perceives he's a prophet is because he has already exposed her condition, her lifestyle, and kind of what she's come from. He doesn't do this to shame her. Please understand that. And here's, here's what I would like to pose to you to rethink this story. And that is that God does not hear, through his son Jesus Christ, look at this woman with condemnation and judge her as promiscuous. As a matter of fact, I'm going to really rattle your cage just a little bit. I don't think this woman is in any way, promiscuous. Now, hold on. I understand. I read the scripture. I heard David read it. I heard five husbands. The guy you're with now isn't even a husband. I understand that. All right, let's go back in culture. A Jewish woman had no say in whether or not she was divorced. This woman is not an adulterous woman, Otherwise, like we find out a little further over in John, she would have been stoned already because this is public. And Jesus' intent, just as we see further over, is not to shame her in that kind of condition. So Jesus isn't judging her here when he's talking about this. He is exposing the condition she's in so that she can understand the need that she has so he can rescue her, and demonstrate to her a different kind of love and a different kind of life than she's ever known. And so we don't know for what reasons that she's had these five husbands, but obviously she has been divorced by them for various reasons. Listen, in the Jewish culture, a woman could suddenly receive a written decree of divorcement from her husband simply if he no longer liked the way she smiled at him. And so I propose to you that this is not a woman who is in promiscuity. This is a woman who is surviving. This is a woman who has been through five marriages, and she has been dismissed, abandoned, rejected in all of them. And the fact that she is living with a man at this time is not, I don't believe, because she just wants to be a loose woman. It's because she's got to survive in the world and the culture that she is in. And so she is put in a difficult place here to survive. She is constantly being bombarded by the shame of where she exists. What an awful... Cultural dynamic for this woman to have to battle day in and day out. Why do you think she comes to the well alone? But I ask you, how many times has the circumstance in your life moved you to not only feel alone, but to act alone? How many times has the enemy shamed you or 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 someone's labeled you, or in some way you felt such that you would not be accepted, and therefore you acted in ways in which you were simply alone. I believe that Jesus knew exactly who was coming to the well that day at the sixth hour. And I believe he understood exactly where he was geographically. And I believe that he exactly intended to show the faithfulness of the Father. Because here's what I want you to understand. I'm not going to keep you much longer today. I'm I'm giving you just a simple thrust here of this this encounter, and I want it to just stick with you today. When Jesus speaks to this woman and he makes reference of worshiping the Father in the appropriate place, He uses a term that was not used with Jewish or Samaritan people, and that is, Father. Jesus opened to her a revelation that she is not only accepted, she is chosen. She is not only chosen, she is adopted. She is brought in regardless of any history, any past, any circumstance, any choice, any activity. Jesus said, give me water. Who are you that that you would ask of me water? If you knew who I was, I could give you life. This woman spoke to him with knowledge There's a prophet that's coming. He'll tell us everything. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. This woman knew this. And that was the open door. I am he. I am he. Jesus redeemed this woman out of a place where she had been and brought her into the place that she never knew she could be. Folks, that's the gospel. He has done for her what she could not do for herself, nor could any other. And so this woman, this Samaritan's response, was immediate. She took off to the village. And she began to tell people, this man... Surely he's a prophet. He's told me everything about me. In other words, in our vernacular, we would say, hey, I just met a guy, and he blew me away. Like, he just read my book. (laughs) You know, he, he told me everything. And then, here's the amazing thing. She brings the city to him. See, the dynamic of Jesus, I told you, I think I told you this last time I preached to you. The, di- the dynamic of Jesus was to go into a village or to go into a city and to find a person of peace, to look for someone who would be receptive to him, and he would stay there and he would work out of their home or whatever. You know, when he sent the disciples out, he said to them, Do this, go into a, to a village, look for a person of peace. When you find that person, go in and stay with them. If you don't find anybody there that's a person of peace, just shake the dust off your sandals, move on to the next place. That was the dynamic that Jesus used in sharing the gospel and and, and proclaiming himself to the people, all right? And and so this woman, normally that would be what he would do, but this woman, he meets her outside the city because she's outside the city. She's not a fit. She doesn't belong. She's an outcast. She's shamed, in essence, beyond repair. Except the I am comes in. The Father's heart is delivered. And she is able not only to perceive it, and this is the key here, not only perceive it, but receive it. And Jesus gives it to her, eternal life. She brings the the city, basically. The influential people of the city are coming out to where Jesus is now, and they're listening to what he has to say, and they're being converted. What's the impact of this for you and I? My friend, God will use anyone he chooses. That's your biggest takeaway, all right, right now. God will use anyone he chooses to do ministry in his kingdom for his purposes. And God, through his son, has already broken every kind of social and cultural and religious barrier possible. How can you stand back and determine or judge that there is anyone of any gender or any race or any activity or any sin who cannot receive God? Life church. We are a multiracial church. We're going to continue to be so, but even more so. We're going to continue to be men and women who break through those those cultural barriers and, and those political barriers and, and those theological barriers and, and those religious barriers and, and, and those gender barriers and all those kinds of things. We're going to do everything we can to demonstrate that Jesus went to the least of them and the most broken and disheartened and disenfranchised. And there, he not only said, I've got something for you. He said, I'll come into your world. I'll step into where you are. And there's nothing about you that can defile me because what I bring to you absolutely restores you completely and fully to the person you are supposed to be and will allow you to do everything that you're called to do. Man, that's redemption. Redemption isn't just getting you out of hell. It's not a fire insurance policy for you. Redemption is restoring the purposes of God. That's what it is. And for you, that's the call. That's the the proclamation. That's the declaration that David and I preach to you and speak over you and pray for you in is that you will fulfill the purposes of God in your life because that is full redemption. So regardless of where you're coming from, regardless of how far outside of it all you've been, this Jesus says, let me drink from your cup let me come into your world and when I come I'm going to give you a cup to drink from that will change your life forever that's the gospel and he proved it only weeks later because he drank the bitter vinegar of the cross and he died for our sins and he went to the grave and he rose three days later And now he has the water of life. Drink. Drink from the water of life. Don't be discouraged. Be encouraged. Don't be shamed. Be confident. Don't be broken and fragmented. Be healed and be made whole in the name of Jesus because that's what he has for you. I want to pray for you. The the, the worship team is going to come. We're going to give you a chance to sing a song and worship here in a minute. Kayla's going to come. I'm going to invite her to come up and just give you a simple invitation to receive this gospel today. All right, let's pray together. Father, I come to you in the name of your son. I've not spoken with eloquence today. I, I, I've, not, I've not tried to present myself in some way that people will think well of me. I've simply tried, God, to speak the truth of what this passage says And I ask you, God, that you will now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, do the work in each of our hearts, God, that is necessary for us to be a people who are faithful, who are set free, who are filled with your Spirit and power, who are redeemed by the blood of Jesus, who are confident in our faith, who are assured of what you have for us, and who are passionate to fulfill the destiny that you've called us to. So, God, I ask you that you, by Your Spirit would capture every heart in this room today for Your glory and for Your honor. And just like this precious woman, let us today receive these living waters to drink from the fountain of life that we may be renewed and restored for the glory of Your name. Amen. All right,
2: Just like Jesus came to this Samaritan woman and said, I know you in your shame and in your brokenness, he comes to us and he says, I know you in your shame and your brokenness, and I am here to invite you to drink the living water that is found in me. We have the opportunity, like this woman, like the people of her town, to respond to the goodness of God's love for us. We have the invitation to also call God our Father. And so...
0: Amen. Um, I'm going to invite the prayer
2: team up. And if you have any prayer needs, you can come up and talk with them. If you want to know more about having this life and this living water in Jesus, please come talk to them. They would love to tell you more about it. But this is the good news for us that no matter what our story is, no matter what our shame is, this gospel, this Jesus is for us. And so Please stand and join us in worship. If you want to pray with the team while we're worshiping, you are more than welcome to. And after the song, you are dismissed.